It's the Kendrick Nunn is out of here. Dolphins in depth podcast. Uh, okay, so maybe not. Maybe that's the Miami Heat podcast, but whatever. It's it's another podcast with man of all seasons, Barry Jackson. I am Armando Salguero. Hello, Barry Jackson. Hi, Armando. It's good to be with you. We're six practices in, but it feels like 60 because of the repetitiveness of training camp. I am seriously, you know, after the first day of practice, I was like, I need a vacation from my, like, from this. I need a vacation every other day, basically. And you are doing yeoman work. You are like, at every practice, you're breaking heat news. You're, uh, I'm shocked you're not attending Marlins games also, and going to the University of Miami to to stalk Manny Diaz. It's like, what are you doing? You're taking the days lightly or what? Well, I've cloned myself in a lab in Zurich, but I'm not allowed to, to talk at length about it at this point. Very good. Very good. So what is your uh, – what are your initial impressions? I guess today was day six. Um, is that correct? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, Monday Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, so today's day six, according to math. And so what are your, give me your top three impressions so far. First impression is very encouraged offensively by the fact that they've been able to strike deep on more than a handful of plays. This was simply something we didn't see in training camp last year. It shows that two is hitting the deep ball with far more precision and accuracy than he did last year when he was one of the league's worst deep throwers statistically in the league. So that's encouraging. From a defensive standpoint, it's discouraging because, as you wrote very well today, this would suggest that a Miami Dolphins secondary, especially one without Xavier and Howard, uh, can be shredded with ease. So that's troublesome. Second thing is just how impressive Albert Wilson has been. This is the player that Adam Gase envisioned when they signed him a few years ago before the hip injuries, before the hamstring injuries. This is a player who will be a weapon. And the thing I find most intoxicating about this offense is the fact that you are going to see short throws, screens, bubble screens be taken presumably by Jalen Waddell and Albert Wilson for what should be long gains because they clearly have the speed and elusiveness to do it, then it's simply a matter of blocking it effectively. So those would be two things. And I guess the third thing is a little surprised that the Dolphins coaching staff is giving something of a message to Christian Wilkins. Of the three practices that we've been permitted to identify who's with the first team and who's with the second team by the Dolphins, Zach Sealer has been the first team defensive end alongside Raekwon Davis and Emmanuel Ogba for two of them. Wilkins has been with the second team for two of those practices. So that surprised me, as well as the fact that Nick Needham is running ahead of Noah uh, Igbenogany uh, when Xavier is out. That's not a big surprise to me because those two players are comparable, but uh, perhaps a mild surprise. So those are my top takeaways from the first week. Uh, what stood out to you? Well, uh, I, I have a bone to pick with you. Okay. Uh, uh, so... Nick Needham and Noah Igbenogany comparable. That should never be, okay? Right, first-round undrafted kid. You're right. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Noah Igbenogany is a first-round draft pick last year, and Nick Needham was an undrafted player, you know, the year before. And so how is it that Nick Needham 
is 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 it's not just Barry that he is um, working as the top substitute corner, Nick Needham. It's that when they're working, he's working better. That's that's the thing that that bug, bug bugs me. I watch Needham practice, and is it? Awesome. Is it the next coming of Deion Sanders? No. But he's representative. He's competitive. It's fine. I, I don't see, oh my gosh, this is, this is a, a bullseye glowing in neon. Burn me. Roast me. That's not it when Nick Needham is there. And then I watch Noah Igbenogany practice behind Nick Needham, by the way. Which means he's not the starter and not the backup. He's the backup to the backup. And sometimes it's fine. Sometimes it's actually good against, you know, third team guys and second team guys. But sometimes it's not very good. It's bad. And I'm watching that going, this shouldn't be. He looks like the second year of a third or fourth round pick instead of the second year of a first-round pick from last year. It, 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 it's not translating for me. Yeah, that, that does concern me. Now, none of the corners picked in that range, Noah, Jeff Gladney, and others were great last year. But if looking back at that draft, you have to ask yourself, should you have gone for one of the running backs on the board? And all of them are on the board. Jonathan Taylor who had a terrific rookie year for the Colts. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, of course, went a couple spots later to Kansas City after Miami moved down to 30 to take Noah. Obviously, J.K. Dobbins went later, closer to the Raekwon Davis pick by Miami. Uh, DeAndre Swift was available. So should they have addressed running back or something else? That certainly is a valid second guess at this point because at the very least, you would like to know, as you said, that this is a guy who can be a reliable third corner at minimum this season, and we haven't seen that yet. One interesting thing from Noah, I, I this made me laugh. He said he is learning the Dolphins' defense by playing as the Dolphins' defense in the Madden game. And I, I don't say that critically of him because he's a really nice kid. He's a smart young man. I just found that to be interesting. <laughs> I wonder, does, is he playing himself? Or yes, he, he is. Play? Does he play Xavier Howard or, or what? Or right. Nick Needham or what? Yeah, because exactly. I, and, and I'm with you on Needham. I thought he was really solid last year. He got toasted by Isaiah McKenzie in the Bills finale, gave up three touchdowns that day. But in the first 15 games of the season, he did not give up a passing touchdown. So give Chris Greer credit for unearthing Nick Needham. But then on the counter, you have to wonder, did they make the most of that third first-round pick they had in 2020, everyone shook their head when they took a corner, and we can still shake our head until Noah shows us that he's a starting caliber, at least a number three caliber NFL player, and I guess we'll see that play out in preseason in the weeks to come. And that's important. Uh, that's important perspective to give people, because understand, we're speaking about a snapshot in time. We're not talking that Noah Igbenogany is going to be Nick Needham's uh, backup ad infinitum. It, this does not apply for the rest of, you know, history. This does not go into eternity. This is today, 
and so far. This isn't like we've decided to to put you know the bullseye on on Noah Igbenogany and decide he's a bust or anything anywhere near close to that. It's not that. It's just that so far, um, you know, he has to he has to step up more. That simple as that. And I'm sure that the coaches are telling him that because I mean anyone with eyes can see it, and and I having eyes have seen it. I can confirm I have eyes. And so I've seen it, you've seen it, everyone's seen it. Talk to me about another 2020 draft pick, Solomon Kinley. Yes, that's quite a mystery where he has been yo-yoed as much as any player on the team uh, in recent months. So after they released Eric Flowers, they told Solomon Kinley, you are moving to left guard. They didn't tell him he would be the starter, but they said, look, you're going to compete there. That's where you thrived at Georgia. This gives you a good opportunity to play this year because we're moving Robert Hunt to right guard where you, Solomon Kinley, played last year. So uh, OTAs begin, and Solomon Kinley, curiously, is not the first team left guard. Instead, it's Jesse Davis throughout OTAs and minicamp. And then we get to training camp last week, and it was finally a bit of good news for Solomon Kinley. He lined up with the starters at that position as recently as Friday, and all looked good in the Solomon Kinley world. And then out of nowhere, on Saturday, Liam Eikenberg, who had been a right tackle since the day he was drafted from Notre Dame by the Dolphins up until last Saturday at 3.43 p.m. Miami time, Liam Eikenberg suddenly becomes a left guard. And so Solomon Kinley is banished to the bench, playing a lot with the third team, some with the second team. We asked him about this yesterday. He said he doesn't know what's going on. He's not going to complain I asked him, are you in condition? Did you meet the weight requirement? He said, yes, I reported at the weight that we wanted me. So I think a lot of fans thought that Solomon Kinley would be this great fourth rounder coming in because they heard Troy Aikman rave about him on that preseason telecast last year where he said this guy's going to be great, he's going to be a mauler, and hopefully he will be that. But at the moment, of all of the kids on this line, he's the one on the outside looking in because someone in the Dolphins building – uh, whether it be Lem Jean-Pierre, the offensive line coach, or someone else decided quite suddenly last Friday that uh, Liam Eichenberg, instead of being their potential starting right tackle, would be quite possibly their starting left guard. And I know, Armando, both of us had heard coming out of the draft that the Dolphins thought he could play either, but the impression left by the offseason program in the first three days of camp was be uh, was that they would give it a ride with him at right tackle to see if at least he could beat out Jesse Davis. But then they suddenly changed courses on Saturday, and it's been that way since. Today was practice three for Liam Eikenberg at left guard. Right. And again, let me add the magical perspective. Um, Solomon Kinley is a mauler. He is absolutely a mauler. I watched him today. And there was one play where he seemed to gobble a defender. And that made him only slightly fatter. But he nonetheless ate an entire human being uh, on a run play. And that's what he does. He's a, he's a good run blocker. Unfortunately for Solomon Kinley, the NFL is a passing league. And so <laughs> he's not quite there in his pass pro, and he, I don't know that he's ever going to be there, 
Solomon Kinley, if the game was played in a phone booth, he'd be Superman. Unfortunately, it's played on a football field that's 100 yards by 53 or whatever it is, or 52. And so he's third string man right now. And let's face it, he is, unlike Igbenogany that we just got done talking about, he's not a first-round pick. He's not a second-round pick. What was he, a fourth-round pick? Correct. Um, So, you know, I'm not all broken up about it. I understand he's a good run blocker. He needs to perfect his pass protection techniques and get a little bit quicker. And I don't know if that's a possibility or not, but that's what has to happen there. As far as Liam Eikenberg, someone whispered to me, look, he's just more comfortable on the left side and he's not going to be the left tackle. It's as simple as that. (laughs) he's not going to be the left tackle and he's more comfortable on the left side. Okay. So he's like a left guard and there you go. And then there it is. Uh, And Jesse Davis for right now is the right tackle. And, you know, he's been more than solid during his, his time with the dolphins as, you know, as a right tackle. Uh, do you want him to be your forever starting right tackle? Probably not, but he's serviceable. He's good enough. Yeah. And the competition there would be the Patriots starting right tackle of a year ago, Justin Elmanor. But to this point, at least for the past three days with Eichenberg at left guard, we've seen Jesse Davis consistently as the first team right tackle. So that looks like his job to lose. And any thought of DJ Fluker challenging him, uh, was torpedoed by the fact that Fluker reported out of shape, had a problem on the conditioning test, hurt his knee, had arthroscopic knee surgery, and was released with an injury settlement. So he's out of the picture now. By the way, you I must commend you. Your verbs so far, yo-yoing and uh, torpedoed, very good throughout this podcast. I'm expecting one more very outstanding verb from you before this podcast is over. Uh, but so far, you're 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 ripping up the the, the whole grammar thing going on. It, I, I love just it. wait until you uh, you hear my uh, my adverbs. I've got Very those nice. for, for, for our nice. second part of the show. I've I've typically been weak on adjectives, but you know I've I've made a career out of out of sentences that make no sense. So you know it works. <laughs> what can I tell you? Uh, Tell me about Tua. We've it's been 15 minutes and we've not discussed quarterback Tua Tonga Vailoa. Well, it was so funny, Armando, because Saturday watching the deep ball to Albert Wilson and how he ran into the end zone, you 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 had these flashes of when all was good with the world, when Marino was launching bombs to Clayton and Duper. And obviously, I'm not comparing Tua to Marino, but I just that fleeting moment, you just did. had. A series of deep balls in the same practice, and Tua was at his absolute best, and you started thinking maybe the guy who was so good in Glendale against the Arizona Cardinals in in November, maybe that guy is going to be who we see consistently with Tua, as opposed to the guy who struggled in Denver, who struggled in Las Vegas. So there, there have been snapshots in this camp that really give you hope, that make you believe, okay, maybe this guy can be a top 12 quarterback Deadly accurate, uh, fairly dependable on the deep ball, 
quick with his release, authoritative. That's Tua at his best. We've seen uh, much of that, certainly the first week of camp. I think what's also encouraging is that not a single interception in 11-on-11 drills from Tua since that first day of camp, camp on Wednesday when he threw two. So he's not making a lot of mistakes. I mean, has he been the second coming of Marino? Of course not. But we've seen encouraging signs where my impression after a week is that maybe this can work out. I was cautiously optimistic going into this training camp that perhaps Tua could be the guy. I'm a bit more optimistic now. Uh, but again, I don't want to read too much into a week of drills where there's been no tackling, obviously. They weren't in pads until today, so you don't want to overstate anything. So I would say cautiously optimistic. Uh, w- would that be close to where you feel, or are you a little more skeptical of what we've seen? No, I think where I'm at is I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to admit it right here and right now, because most people don't think I know anything anyway. And so I'm going to raise my hand and tell you and admit to you that I don't know exactly what's going on because on the one hand, there is no pass rush. There is no threat of being tackled. And, oh, yeah, there's no Xavier Howard over there either. And, you know, Byron Jones has been in and out uh, of the lineup especially in team drills. So I I don't know about that, about all the success. On the other hand, there's been no Devontae Parker to speak of. Will Fuller practiced the first day and not since. Uh, Preston Williams, a starter last year, has not practiced. And so... Tua is doing what he is doing, which is much more impressive than what he did last year at this time, by the way, and throughout all of minicamp last year. He is doing what he is doing with basically guys that are supposed to be backups at wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins because Devontae is supposed to be a starter. Will Fuller is supposed to be a starter. Preston Williams last year was a starter. So we're talking about him doing it with, you know, Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson, as we mentioned, and, uh, you know, some to Gusecki, I guess. Um, and it's not – he doesn't have his full complement. So it's, it's a, a weight that I'm trying to balance of he doesn't have his weapons, but the defense doesn't have their weapons, and they're not really – threatening to hit him, which affects any quarterback. So I I can't tell you that Tua is 100% going to be much better in 2021 than he was in, in 2020 based on the practices that I've watched because the practices that I've watched, there is compromising, you know, circumstances on both sides for and against him. Uh, so, I mean, does that make sense to you? It totally does. It's yeah. It's too soon to judge. I want to see obviously regular season games, but you'd also like to see practices against other teams and other secondaries. We'll see that in Chicago next week, both in two practices and then the game. And so I think then you'll get a true sense of whether uh, this is a better player. We know his base physically is stronger, 
uh, just because he's another six, seven, eight months removed from the hip procedure. So that, in theory, should help him generate more strength on his deep ball, and his deep balls look good. There have also been at least a handful of strikes over the middle where he has very decisively dropped back into the pocket uh, and delivered the ball within a couple of seconds, didn't take him long, uh, well-thrown balls, probably 15 to 20 yards, uh, which makes you think, hmm, maybe we're going to see the Alabama Tua. So all of this is encouraging, but I, I keep going back to this in, in the discussion that, that you and I have had about Deshaun Watson. If there weren't the other issues with Watson with regard to the legal issues and whether he'll be eligible to play this year or next, and if we didn't see moments of Tua like in Arizona, like the second half of the Kansas City game, like the second half of the Patriots game where you went to yourself, maybe this guy can be the guy, then I'd be all over the Watson thing. But because of all of those factors, I say to myself, I'd like to see Tua for six, seven weeks because the last thing you want to do is give up on him prematurely, even if a quality quarterback becomes available in the trade market, knowing that it would take several first-round picks to get that quarterback. So that's why my interest has been peaked enough to think, hmm, maybe he could be something. I want to see this into September and October and hopefully beyond. When we come back, we will, we've got several other names that we need to discuss with you and something that's going to happen next week that should be quite interesting. We'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So, Barry, next week the Miami Dolphins will be going to uh, no, it's not next week. It's the following week. They'll be going to Chicago, correct? Right. It is. It is in fact going to be next week. So they're going to practice uh, with the Bears Wednesday and Thursday in Illinois, and then play them at 1 p.m. a week from Saturday. And then the following week, the Falcons come here for joint practices, and then obviously they play Atlanta in their one home preseason game on that Saturday. So Brian Flores said we did not see that typical Hard Rock Stadium scrimmage this year because essentially the practices are going to take the place of the scrimmage because they're going to have four days of practice against the Bears and the Falcons. And then the question will be, Armando, with only four preseason games, is your dress rehearsal game still number uh, three? Obviously three preseason games this year, down from four historically. So what's your dress rehearsal play the starters game? Is it game two? Is it game three? Flora says he has an idea, but he doesn't want to tell us. Uh, What would be the smartest approach with that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, seriously, Coach, I mean, is Bill Belichick going to steal your idea for the dress rehearsal game, really? I mean, 
that's some of the stuff that he does that what's the point, dude? Really, what's the point? Is this like a big competitive advantage that you're going to have? The other coach you've already probably told, so you're just being a nerd with the reporters for the sake of just giving us a hard time and, and, and by extension, giving the fans a hard time. So have that, Brian, just for you. Um, as far as the Chicago practices, I, I like the idea of dual practices against other teams. Um, here's a, I like the idea of this offensive line being able to match up against that defense because Chicago's front seven is pretty good. Yes. Uh, Khalil Mack is pretty good. <laughs> I, you know, I, I want to see Austin Jackson and Khalil Mack a little bit. Uh, see how that goes. Uh, just, you know, just wondering because that will – the Dolphins have done a bunch of work with their offensive line. Fair? Uh, totally they, fair. And what's funny is we don't know really what any of these guys are with certainty among the starters except Jesse Davis. I mean, we know correct. Jesse Davis will be reliable and serviceable, but do we know if Austin Jackson has the potential still to be a front-line left tackle or is he going to be subpar? We have no idea what Liam Eikenberg will be as an NFL player. We have no idea if Michael Dieter, who's been taken out of mothballs, he was left in the closet under some rubble for a year. We have no idea if he can be the starting center and a good one. We have no idea if Rob Hunt will be a really good right guard. I think he can be, but we haven't seen that. So questions, Armando, at four of the five positions. Right. And and having said that, it's positions that the Dolphins have highly invested in. Because Austin Jackson is a first-round pick. Because... Liam Eikenberg is a second-round pick because the surprise of camp, Michael Dieter playing with the starting group at center, he's a third-round pick. And, and obviously, Robert Hunt is a second-round pick. So they have invested – we're not talking sixth, fifth, fourth-round picks. We're talking second, first and second-round picks uh, playing against one of the better defensive fronts in football – and I'm just interested to see not just where they are, but how far they need to go. Because I don't expect them, Barry, to be awesome right off the bat against the Chicago Bears next week. I don't. Right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. If you want to look at the glass half full thing, Austin Jackson, even though if you believe the pro football focus ratings, he was – I think 78th of 83 left tackles last year. But the good news to me is he wasn't overwhelmed. There was never a point where you said to yourself, Austin Jackson cannot play. He's an embarrassment. That never happened. So the fact that he got through the year at least competently gives me hope because we knew going into last year he was a raw prospect. We knew he would need time to develop. He's a really smart young guy. He strikes me as studious and diligent. So I have hope there. With Eichenberg, the, the hope that I draw is the fact that at a major college program, Notre Dame, he didn't give up a sack his last two and a half years and very few pressures. And obviously, Notre Dame was playing generally high-end competition. So that's encouraging to me. Dieter uh, has intelligence, obviously, uh, you know, some measure of toughness. 
Uh, and uh, I think he'll be effective, at least with the signal calling aspect of it, as were Karras and Kilgore before. The question that I don't think we can answer yet is, will Michael Dieter simply be an okay, serviceable center, or is there potential there for more if he wins the job over Matt Scorer? So I watched Austin Jackson today in the on the first day that they had pads on. He was good. Mm-hmm. I like I like what I saw. I think he could be easily the best of that bunch uh, before we're through. And you know that's a prediction now based on one padded practice against his own teammates. But he was good today, and that was. I'm not saying he's going to dominate. Robert Quinn next year, uh, next week, or shut down, you know, Khalil Mack. I'm not saying that, but I I have high hopes for Austin Jackson. I think he's he is going to be more than than serviceable. I think he's going to be good for the Dolphins. Good. Uh, should I go out on a limb and predict All Pro? No, but. I got no problems with him right now. I think he's he's great, you know, so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow, I might not think he's great because tomorrow is another practice. What can I tell you? What what is your what is your thought? That's a call from Chicago, believe it or not. Um, Akeem Hicks on the line, line three. Yeah, I think I think Mac is calling just to get tape of Austin yes. Jackson and Dieter. Long time, first time, right, <laughs> right now, calling us. Um, so you mentioned the running back core earlier, and today what we saw was a run intense practice, correct? Yes. What do you make of this running back core now that you see it on the field? It's it's okay. I don't think you can use an adjective with a bigger superlative just because. You ask yourself this, how many teams in the league would trade their running back group for your group? And the answer is probably very few, if any, right? I mean, Gaskin obviously has absolutely made the most of two years of his NFL career, going from a seventh-round pick to a guy who averaged 97 yards per game from scrimmage last year, which was 10th in the league. You have an interesting, explosive piece in Salvan Ahmed, who averaged 4.3 per carry last year. Malcolm Brown has been a very competent backup for the Rams in his six years. Uh, Average numbers in short yardage, which uh, surprised me, 27 for 50 conversions for Malcolm Brown when it's uh, three yards and uh, two or fewer, or third down rather, and two or fewer yards needed for a first down. So I, I thought his short yardage numbers might be a little better than that. So it's a serviceable group. It's a decent group. Is it a great group? Of course not. And that's why we're always going to wonder this entire year How in the world did they go through another draft without picking a top-flight running back on the first two days? Obviously, they did Jared Dokes late, and the kid runs hard, but I just don't understand how this could happen two years in a row where you bypass all of the top backs. You let Denver jump in front of you for Javante Williams. It's just it's befuddling to me how this has happened two straight years. And I think this frustrates me maybe a little bit more than it does with with you, Armando. Uh, But I think the easiest way to relieve pressure from Tua is to get him a top flight back. And the Dolphins roster has competent, nice backs, but they don't have, obviously, an elite back. Yeah, I think it's the weakest room on the team, uh, as a matter of fact. I think, you know, all the guys you mentioned, 
I don't know about Dokes because I haven't seen him play in a game. He looks fine in practice. He's big. He's he's strong. He he's got something about him. He's got a swerve. Um, so I I like that. But we'll we'll see what it looks like in a game. But this group is. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the the total yards per scrimmage for for uh, Miles Gaskin per game. What did he average? Rushing, which is what his job is. I mean, right. And the four point one per carry average for Gaskin is is decent. It's not great, but it's decent. But I keep asking myself this: If you're going to trade up uh, for Liam Eikenberg eight spots by giving up a third rounder next year, why the heck couldn't you do that for Javante Williams before Denver hopped you? Because you already had guards on the roster with Kinley. You can find a guard. You had Jesse Davis. If Eichenberg's a good player, I'll be okay. That was fine. But I keep thinking to myself, they could have easily ensured them getting one of the top three backs in last year's draft with Javante Williams, right? I can understand them bypassing Najee Harris to take Jalen Phillips, and then ATN went quickly to Urban Meyer in the 20s. But I just ask myself, how can this happen again where they pay such short shrift to running back and seem content with this middling group? I just don't understand it. Yeah, and and the the breakaway guy, Ahmed, uh, I think his long NFL run is 31 yards. Right. So uh, I want a running back that can go 61, not 31. Um I want a guy that that threatens the defense if they are not, you know, if they don't have their run fits straight, if their lanes are askew or off kilter, I want them to be in trouble. And I don't think that NFL defenses at this point, certainly not at the end of last year, thought that they could be um, gashed by the Dolphins running game. And so that's that's a problem. And it wasn't because of the offensive line. It was because of the ball carriers. They just don't have uh, that dude that will turn a four-yard gain into a 44-yard gain. It, it's it, um, they're they're good enough, but they're not what I would say is really good. Right, and bottom third of the league, in fact, bottom quarter of the league in yards after contact for this group of running backs, average yards after contact last year, which is a very telling stat because it shows what backs can get something out of nothing, and they were substantially behind the team they're chasing in the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills in that category, yards after contact on average for running backs. That should improve this year, by the way, because... If the Dolphins have the quarterback that they believe that they have and the wide receiver group is as improved as they believe that it is, you know, defenses are going to back off a little bit. And they have to because uh, the passing game will be so much better. But it's not going to resolve everything. It's not going to, you know, change everything uh, 180 degrees. It helps. Uh, a few degrees, but you you need talent back there. And I think some teams have sort of gone away from the idea that running backs are that important. The Dolphins are definitely leading the pack there 
with that idea because, I mean, the seventh-round pick is their starter. Uh, an undrafted – uh, was Ahmed undrafted? Uh, he was, and the Dolphins wisely promoted him to the 53 after the Chargers tried to poach him from their practice squad early October last year. So give the Dolphins credit – for at least uh, moving him up so that he wouldn't be poached. And, you know, he looks like a helpful piece. Uh, Jordan Scarlett, the former Gator and fifth-round pick of the Panthers, he's in camp. He had a couple of nice runs today. Patrick Laird obviously is still around. But, you know, but it's, it's, it's an average group at best. Scarlett also fumbled, by the way. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, and um, tragically, no one touched him. <laughs> tragically, right. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, you know, no one touched me today either, and I didn't drop a pen. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I, I fumble, not good. Never good. Uh, before we leave folks here, Barry, tell me what you think of the front seven on defense. I'm encouraged. I think Adam Butler was a good signing, a guy with 15 and a half sacks for the Patriots over the last four years. Uh, I think McKinney will be effective in the run game, as you noted today online, MiamiHerald.com, and as we both observed, I think he'll be a nice compliment for Baker, although I do think he's very vulnerable uh, in the passing game. Uh, Van Ginkle, before he left with a slight limp today, gives you every reason to believe that last year wasn't a fluke. He's going to build on how disruptive he was last year. Ogba, you hope he's the same guy who gave you nine sacks last year. And Jalen Phillips was showing signs before he sustained this lower leg injury, which uh, uh, Brian Flores has said is not serious. However, hasn't been able to practice for four days, had a compression sleeve on the leg earlier this week, so we'll have to monitor that. And then with the interior, I think Raquan Davis has the potential to be an above-average nose tackle. You could make the case he's already there, but I think there's a high ceiling there. Obviously, Wilkins hasn't been entirely what we had hoped, but at least he's competent. Sealer was a great acorn for them, to use a Jeff Ireland term. And I think Duke Riley he's and Brandon Scarlett. Exactly, right. Yeah, I think uh, Scarlett and Duke Riley will be very uh, decent uh, backups. Uh, and Vince Beagle coming back. So I think overall, the front seven, I would say on a scale of one to ten, I'd give it a seven, uh, maybe a, a smidge higher uh, but but I'm encouraged by it. what what's been your read of that group? Yeah, so I, I'm higher on Raquan Davis, I think, than you are. And one of the reasons that I'm I'm so high on him is, I mean, he he was he was supposed to be the blank at Alabama, and he didn't quite get there. I think he might get there with some coaching that he's getting from the Dolphins. I also like the fact that I was watching him today. He moves the ball back when officials aren't watching. <laughs> I love so that. Yeah. He moves the ball back. It was like, uh, it was, you know, the, the, the offense got a, a penalty from their one yard line. It was at the half yard line. Officials weren't looking. Raekwon Davis put it at, like, the quarter yard line if there and was he's such the largest thing. man on the field trying to get away with this. Yes, and, and doing so. Man. Amazingly, doing so, and he does it with great timing because it's before the center sees him, and so it's before the offense breaks the huddle, so no one sees it. The officials, I guess, were, like, looking for water somewhere or watching the birds. 
in the you know fly around and and of course the defensive teammates aren't going to tell on him so he got away with it it was wonderful um so I like him a lot I respect Sealer a lot I mean the guy went to Ferris State <laughs> okay Ferris State and now he is starting in the NFL for the Miami Dolphins and he had a good good season last year um Ferris State first player ever drafted from Ferris State and God bless them, the team that unearthed them is the Baltimore Ravens. So that makes me believe, and they know a little something about defensive players, uh, and especially defensive linemen. So I, I like him a lot. Um, I saw today that Bernardrick McKinney is clearly a run player. I understand why he's in the NFL now. The first five days of practice, I didn't because he is not a or was not during that time a good coverage linebacker. It was problematic to see him cover backs out of the backfield. But against the run, he's a monster. I mean, that guy was in the backfield a couple of times and he fills quickly. Uh, he's a very good run-down linebacker, which means he's a one-down linebacker, really. But, you know, at least he does that really well. And right. You so, know, it's funny. He could have opted to tell the Dolphins, I'm not taking a $4 million pay cut to $3 million. I'm not going to do it. You can release me and see if he could have gotten anything close to that on the street. He probably wouldn't have been able to because he's coming off an injury, shoulder injury that sidelined him 12 games last year. So it's interesting that he decided to stay despite the huge pay cut and also the fact that the Dolphins eliminated the last two years of his contract. So this actually could be a win-win for Bernardrick McKinney if he has a really good year because then maybe a team in free agency will give him money, uh, even though, as we both know, run-first linebackers are not getting paid a lot in today's NFL. But he's got a real opportunity to make a case this year for the Dolphins or some other team that in his 20s he can still be the Pro Bowl run-stopping linebacker that he was in 2018. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, one down linebacker shouldn't be in the Pro Bowl. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. And so if he's going to be that guy, brother, you've got to cover and you've got to rush the passer somehow. Uh, that's what the NFL is. That's what gets you in the Pro Bowl, period. I, I'm sorry, Barry. I'm I'm. That's all I got to say about that. I would love to continue with Xavier uh, Howard talk, but we're going to escape this podcast, Barry, without mentioning Xavier Howard contract status. What do you think about that? I think it's great. I just saw him icing his ankle. I was just wandering around Miami Gardens, and I saw him sitting down uh, on a street corner just resting his ankle. So I'm encouraged by that because, as we both know from Brian Flores, he had an air quote setback. On Monday, so let's hope the setback is not too serious. We appreciate you joining us on this week's edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. We'll be back next week as the Dolphins do indeed travel to Chicago to face the Chicago Bears. Uh, we'll see what Dick Butkus and Peanut Tillman and uh, you know Gail Sears and all those guys what they're up to up there and. True story, Barry. Gail Sears follows me on Twitter. It's like, dude, really? 
that's I, neat. That is, yeah, that's that was that's a moment for me. Thanks again. Tune in next week.